1: Okay, let's run. Your mission, should you choose to accept it?
0: It's a quest. It's a quest for
1: fun. Well, The Rock says, why don't we just cut right to the chase? Okay, now he, uh, you know, he wants to get together. He, well, you know, he wants to talk. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends
0: about me. It's It's showtime, folks! Where are you? I'm- Greetings and salutations, welcome to And I quote, the weekly show where we introduce you to content creators of all shapes and sizes that join us from any and all corners of the nerd universe. We found out more about them and we take your questions. I am your host, Ryan of Neuroculture, and our guest this week is almost like the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. He doesn't want to be late for late for a very important date. He is an independent comic book creator, a podcaster who's done twelve shows in five days, which is just crazy for and bananas if you know what I'm saying. Please welcome to Earth Dog Studios, Timothy B. Flings, finally in the building. Timothy, good to see you, my man. How are hey, you?
1: Thanks so much, Ryan, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, sorry I missed you last week or two weeks, whatever that was. But yeah, as you were saying, it, it's wild. We're on this little bit of a media blitz, right? And by that, I mean, I tried to take inspiration from a lot of the podcasters that I've, I've worked with, like you. And I know we have a lot of you know mutual friends, too. And what happened was i started doing a on thursday nights it's sort of like a little creator hangout and it's kind of along the lines of if somebody has a, a book or a kickstarter project you know they come on and they pitch it basically for it's roughly an hour long show and i try to have two or three other peoples and two or three other people and uh, what we do there'll be like a type of topic right like uh We did merchandise with Rob Moltari and Carissa Grant. A great topic, right? And you you really can learn a lot. And what I mean by that is I learn a lot, too. I don't know if you remember. I'm actually kind of new compared to some of these uh, very talented people that, you know, I sort of fell into it. So, you know, here we are. Yeah, we do two live shows a week. That's over on the Comics Madness Network. And they tend to be creator-focused, that's kind of our angle in that channel. And then the other thing is I do the show uh, Holden's 11. That's over on YouTube. And that one is a true list show. We, we pick a list of things and we, you know, we knock through the list. Like just recently, our most recent one was uh, it was with author Jessica Mason. She's terrific. Mm-hmm. And we are both fans of 1950s black and white classic sci-fi movies. Wow! And so that was so we did the top eleven movies, and uh, she's the writer of Plastic Girl and uh, Mary Mary Shelley's School of Monsters. I hope I said that right. Viewers, correct me if I got the title wrong. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. And uh, yeah, terrific writer, and it's fun. Like you get on the air, right, and you meet people, and uh, the next thing you know, you're all kind of doing these shows together, and it's all a very organic process. And I feel like I should quick say. I'm real grateful to you and to the indie community. They've been really great to me. Like, you know, and this was my way of doing the show was. And by the way, I'm saying this to any viewers that are listening. Now that's my stage where I'm at as I'm trying to do something that's supportive for the indie community. And we all try to do things like we share each other's posts or we like it. And there's various kind of things you can do that are small that will help us as indie creators. Uh, But one of them, mine is now that if you have something that you want to promote, I'll you can come on the show and we'll talk about it and I'll ask you questions and it'll help to promote and that's my small way of uh doing it and i tell you ryan it's funny we do get some people over there watching it and um i always learn something from the guests you know because you know it's funny because i'm asking them the questions as if i'm this you know knowledgeable interviewer right like i'm alex trebek or something (laughs) but the truth is i really want to know i want to know how rob maltari has five-figure kickstarters and Mm -hmm. you know 400 pre followers whatever it is is and my point being quite legitimately we can all learn something from a guy like that and of course we had carissa too who she's great at marketing and she constantly says things like oh i'm not really that good at that and the meanwhile she's got 12 products you can buy and you know they're all really cool so she's obviously very good at marketing right so i sort of try to frame the subject matter of the shows around whoever i'm talking to and uh, you know as you know i never you and I are kind of similar. We like creators. I notice that's one of your things. You like the creators. And by the way, that's I'm that way too. Mm-hmm. And I never had any inclination to uh how do I want to say this? I, I didn't know that being on interviews and interviewing people and stuff was something that I was gonna be doing. I'm kinda of, I'm kinda of surprised by it to tell you the truth. But you know, it's one of those things that once it happens, you just kind of you know, you see what you can can do with it. And I had, in my case, it took the form of, we got this YouTube channel and I'm one of the small ones. Um, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I have 220 subscribers, something like that. It's not very big, but they seem like a pretty devout following that I got so far. And some of the views I get well over 200 views, which for a guy like me, that's great. I never get that. And that's better to me than buying a Facebook ad or, a. You know, in anything. So it all goes back to, you know, you build your audiences and you you, you go and you try and you meet the people and you meet the broadcasters and you meet people like Ryan. And you just try to you build your network little by little. And hopefully you'll be able to, in my case, if you're a Kickstarter creator, you're also hoping that you'll find some customers in there.
0: Oh, of course, of course. And for those of you who may be wondering, this is, and I quote, with indie combo creator Timothy B. Fling. If you have any questions for Timothy B. Fling throughout the course of this episode, let us know in the comments. Let us know in the chat. And don't forget to like and share this episode with all of your closest friends because they're going to like the way they look after watching or listening to this episode, I should say. And I quote, we can, we guarantee it. Now, Timothy B. Fling, to kick things off here, how were you specifically introduced to the world of comics? How did it all start for you?
1: Well, uh, in my case, I was a young kid. Right. And it was uh, I can remember really you're young.
0: You only look like you're 21. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead.
1: When I was probably I'm telling you, I must have been six or seven years old. I was searching for Christmas presents in my parents uh, bedroom. And I, it was under their bed, and I opened up the box, and it was two books in there. And what they were, it was what we'd call a trade paperback. Now, it was collected stories of Superman and Batman. And the names of them, I still have the books. It's called Superman from the 30s to the 70s and Batman from the 30s to the 70s. It was their 40-year retrospective book. Which of course seemed like so long then. And of course now that's 50, now it's 90 years. Right. But anyway, uh, I had snuck under the bed and I read every page of that book before Christmas even came. And I was hooked on the medium of visual storytelling in comics. And I guess you'd say there's a chapter two to this, which is, uh, it wasn't until much later, many years later, like comics became very uncool for a long time. Mm -hmm. It was, You know, like to my generation, comics wasn't cool yet. It definitely wasn't cool yet. And if you had something like. uh, Like now comic collectors are almost like rock stars, you know what I mean? And that kind of thing. But it, it wasn't like that then. And the chapter two is the second time that I got into comics, this would have been the early 90s, I guess, which was late 80s, early 90s, which is Grant Morrison, Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman. You know, the guys now who would be considered the titans of comics like that was new. To me, when I was, you know, reading, it was like, it was like, wow, comics can be good. That was like when people started saying stuff like that, you know. So that's who inspired me. That's how I kind of it'd be fair to say that in my new book. I'm trying to – I try to emulate writers whose work I like, and I don't necessarily try to dance around that or anything. I think a lot of writers do it, and they just don't admit it. But like as we've said before, we write the Water Wars short stories, and they're very similar to – or if you read them, you might go, hey, this is kind of similar to a Richard Matheson story or a Twilight Zone story. Yes, that's who they're framed after. And there's like some that are like Isaac Asimov stories, and you can almost kind of recognize it. Well, in the case of Call of the Cryptid, it's designed to be our one that's a little bit like a Grant Morrison story. And what I mean by that, it's got some surreal sort of uh, dialogue and twists and things in the story. For example, when the radio is playing, the lyrics play through the radio and into the panels, and it interacts with what you'd see in the panel of the comic.
0: Mm. Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Going along with that, what would you say were some of your – favorite comic book writers or artists growing up any names stand out
1: yeah and you, you know i have always loved the great comic artists but when i first started when i was young i didn't understand all that stuff yet i just liked mm-hmm. comics and i was reading them i didn't right. get the right it, it didn't click but right. the and second absolutely. time it clicked when i was like oh people are making this Mm-hmm. Right. And this is like you and I talked backstage. There's something about creators that's kind of cool, right? It's a little bit like music in a way. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the to me, this would have been right around the time of Vertigo at DC, mm-hmm. which is things mm-hmm. like if the viewers don't remember some of these, you'll remember that some of them became big shows, which is The Sandman was a big one, uh Animal Man was a big one, Doom Patrol. If you like Doom Patrol, you probably will like the comics that I'm making, because that's along the lines of who I somebody that I try to emulate in the work. You know what I mean? It's not like you wouldn't, it, it, now that I tell you that you could probably read it and be like, Oh, I see what he means by that, you know? <laughs> um, and, and to me that's, uh, I come by it honestly, because I think we're all in influenced by great works, you know, and I think that it's only natural to gravitate toward the people who, uh, the creators whose work that you admire. And I guess on the art side, I would say like, uh, well, I would return to like the classic art like Jack Kirby and John Romita and, you know, what some people would call the Silver Age uh, artwork. But I, I just think it looks cool. Uh, you know, that's I like the old covers and stuff to to books. So I'm influenced by that. But there's so many great uh, modern artists now. You could make a pretty good argument that the modern artists are, you know, they got better anatomy. They got better dynamics. They got digital coloring. There's, there's all kinds of advantages that the current crop of artists has over the, the titans of the old days. So, you know, I, as far as the artwork, I, I, I admire all the artwork. I don't necessarily have anybody that stands out to me right now, but the writer's man for me, it's all about the big three, which is Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman and uh, Grant Morrison.
0: Good names, good names. We want to take a moment to acknowledge our good friends in the chat. Cade Hawkins says, hiya. What's up, Cade? Good to see you, man. Hope everything is well for you in your neck of the woods. If you have any questions for Timothy B. Fling, let us know, man. Love to hear from you. With that being said, what would you say are some of your favorite comic book-based movies or TV series past or present? You know,
1: I, it's funny. One funny thing about me, the, some of the ones that get a lot of hate, I still kind of like them. I'm, I'm sort of predisposed to like uh, comic movies and Star Wars movies. Like, I'm pre-wired. you got a pretty good chance I'm going to like it anyway, even if it's this, not good.
0: When you when it comes to Star Wars, this is the way, so I dig that.
1: Yeah, man, just get into it. Just It's like a ride. You get on. It might not be the best ride, but enjoy the ride. Hey, there's my buddy, Carissa. Yeah, Carissa Grant's in the out.
0: studio. She says, howdy. Good to see you, Carissa. Hope everything's well for you in your neck of the woods. I was
1: just giving her a shout-out. We're the oh. Chaos Redemption. Go check it out on Kickstarter. Hot project. Hmm,
0: <laughs> hmm. Yes, but uh, any other uh, comic-based movies or TV series that stand out oh, to you? Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, to get back to the question, uh, you know, some of the ones that I liked were I liked the most recent Batman, which is the Robert Pattinson. Pattinson? Movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's a, that was a good one. I was I very surprised at how best. much I, I liked, liked it.
1: Him. Yeah, I like the Catwoman. I like the Riddler as the sort of, you know, the serial killer style Riddler. I like how they played up the detective comics aspect mm-hmm. of it. I thought that was very True to form. Um, I also, I liked the Watchmen movie that a lot of people didn't like. Um, oh my. I like the Sin City movies, you know, the black and white ones. Um, I
0: like both of them. I mean, people throw the second one, A Dame to Kill For, under the bus. I don't care. I liked it.
1: Yeah, I did too. I like that one. And I'm, I'm a fan of, uh, I'm a fan of those comics too. And as, as some people know, I'm a little bit of a, I always uh, love the idea of black and white comics. It's something that I'm trying to give revival to fascinating
0: yeah all right all right good names good names uh right there or some good titles i should say that uh that stand out there and you know
1: i i think i I think ryan you and i talked about i'm a comic collector too right so i'm always really excited to see uh almost anytime you have a property being remade into a movie or a television miniseries, whatever it is, I always approach those with great positivity because I, I almost always like the source material. And as you know, sometimes there's hits and there's misses, you know, it's not something necessarily that people need to get so worked up about. I don't think, you know, there's like, for example, like I love the MCU movies, you know, I mm-hmm. think that's you know just a triumph of filmmaking. But I will admit that it's kind of similar to the Westerns of the late 60s, early 70s. Eventually, there's so many that it starts to lose steam a little bit. And it's nothing that they're doing wrong. But, you know, you see the new ones and, you know, you've had everything really since Endgame. You know, you had the Eternals and Ms. Marvel. and None of them have been that good to me. And now, again, that's not me hating them. But right. I'm, just, I'm just saying, look, once you use up Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, the whole, you've used up all the A-list, the B-list and the C-list. They're well into the bottom of the characters, you know, Ant-Man 3. Come on, guys. You know, <laughs> I get it. while I get it. Why there's another movie. And again, I love Paul Rudd. Um, it's Great gold. actor. It's gold. Yeah. It's, it's some of my favorite stuff. I'm not in any way against it. But I am saying you could build a pretty serious argument that if you're a movie making studio, there's got to be a fresh new direction pretty soon. Right. Something. I I don't know what the answer is. I'm not smart enough to know that. But I I will say that. I mean, what is it next? They've already got the three uh, C-level Ms. Marvels who, you know, it, it maybe, you know, it was the same way with the Eternals. Like if you could put Iron Man in front of anywhere and people say, hey, that's Iron Man from the comics You go to the most hardcore comic collecting person and ask them to name one eternal. Could they do it? I couldn't have done it. And it's not. and, And I know it was a Jack Kirby work and the whole thing. It's just I don't know. Maybe the source material is not as strong, I guess, is what I'm saying. It could be the Western syndrome where we are so late in the life cycle of these types of movies that it's hard to get excited about them. Like Hmm. I still like Guardians of the Galaxy. They're still kind of cool. But see, that's one of the things. That's why they were so cool when they first came out. I remind people they were the ones that were like fresh and different. They had this cool rock soundtrack and they were all kind of weird. Right. Hmm. And then it it became like a, a rock sensation, almost a music sensation as much as a movie sensation. But after all this, I don't know that there's too many more interesting directions to take it. Like, you know, what do you do next? And like I say, I don't know. I'm, I'm genuinely interested in seeing what they do.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, the Marvel character, you know, the Miss Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel, like they have the show, The Marvels is coming soon to the, to the streaming service known as Disney Plus, by the way, hashtag, not a sponsor by any stretch of the imagination, but there's so much, and you're right, and the other thing is, and for me, I can't speak for everybody, and by the way, feel free, if anyone has an, a, a, a not a theory, but, a – um, a feeling about this. Let us know in the chat. By the way, Carissa, re- real quick before I respond to that, Carissa says, thank you for the shout yeah, out. Thanks, good. Timothy. She appreciates good. that. And, she, and Carissa goes on to say, I haven't seen it. Carissa, are you referring to the movie Eternals or are you referring to Ant-Man 3 and the Quantum Mania one? Which, which film are you referring to? Just out of curiosity. But as far as the MCU syndrome is concerned, for me, when Endgame happened, it was a great way to wrap things up. And at the end, I'm thinking, okay, well, let's move on to something else because there's – don't get me wrong. Marvel has a treasure trove of characters that have existed for decades and decades and decades. So there are Mm -hmm. a lot of things you can pick and choose from. Do not get me wrong. It's just for me, Endgame, for me, it was the end. It's like, okay, I want to move on to a different franchise. I want to move on with some new characters and some new properties or maybe some properties that have been around for decades and decades and decades that I'm just not very familiar with. I mean, for example – That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary VTW room void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. You know, I haven't seen any of the stuff that's happened since Endgame. I haven't seen the she hulks I haven't seen the Moon Knights, I haven't seen the Marvels, I haven't I seen I what's either. the other what's the other one? Eternals. I haven't seen Eternals. I, I haven't seen Hawkeye. Yeah. Right. You know, I saw that...
1: Hawkeye. I did see Hawkeye.
0: Yeah, I have well, some like I said, some people have, some people haven't. For me personally, I haven't. Oh, by the way, Carissa corrects herself. She says, yes, both. Okay, <laughs> so you haven't seen <laughs> Ant-Man Part 3 and you haven't seen Eternals. Okay, gotcha. I'm just curious. Now, Ant-Man, Ant-Man
1: 3 is supposed to be really good, I heard. So I'll, I'll reserve judgment. I saw like the first half hour, 40 minutes probably of Eternals. That's always a bad sign if I turn the movie off and don't go Because normally, man... Uh, See, we forget now because it's actually an old movie. You know, 2008 when Iron Man and the first Avengers were coming out. Turns 15
0: this year, believe it or not.
1: Yeah, see, that's the thing. We're now officially talking about an old movie. But, you know, when that first came out, it was, you know, the excitement was super high, it was
0: revolutionary.
1: Yeah, you know, the post, uh, you know, the ending credit scene that was the preview for the next one. Oh. I'm telling you, when I saw the one where it was Thor's hammer, and, the you know, he said, we found it, and it's a shot of Thor's it. hammer, mm-hmm. the place went nuts.
0: Right? One year. It yeah.
1: nuts, yeah. People were standing, cheering. That's how into it people used to get into it from Marvel movies.
0: Yeah. For me, when the thing that intrigued me the most was, yes, the end credit scene of the first Iron Man film when Nick Fury says, I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger initiative. I'm like, whoa, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait right. a minute. I have heard this name before, but are they really going to go there? Are they really going to attempt to do this? Cause that's a, sure. that's a massive undertaking, no matter who you are and whatever studio you represent, respectively. And the second thing that came to mind was, and this is a film that a lot of people forget. And by the way, this film turns 15 later this year. It's called The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton. And yes, it's an MCU canon film. Don't tell me it's not. The end credit scene to The Incredible Hulk is Tony Stark walking into the bar at the end of that movie and talking to Thunderbolt Ross and saying, what if I told you we were putting the team together? Right, we? And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Now they're really planting the seeds. I'm thinking to myself, okay, shut up and take all my money. I want to see how this works. Is this going to work? We don't know. But in 2012, we got our answer, and boy, did they knock that film out of the park. Nice. Yeah. nice. And now that movie's 11 years old. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: It's movie years, the time goes by quick, man.
0: There's a lot of movies that are celebrating. Annivers- I mean, movies celebrate anniversaries every year, respectively. But in this case, both Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Dark Knight, all turned 15 years young this summer. See? So
1: okay, there you so go. Two, two, two Ryan, Marvel properties
0: it. and a DC property turned the big 1-5, ladies and gentlemen.
1: So, Ryan, I want to know what you would do. Ready? Um, because the truth is, we both are comic fans, and we have some knowledge of how it works, but it's it's clear that we've got some problems, okay, with the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe. Mm-hmm. What is the thing to do?
0: See, that's the um, – I would have to rack A my – A
1: full reboot? Uh,
0: I mean, they're talking about – well, I don't. I haven't read any articles, and I don't have any evidence for this to back me. Up. But once again, we are talking with <laughs> – before we continue on our ma- Marvel uh, spiel, this is, <laughs> and I quote, with our special guest, Timothy B. Fling of Earth Dog Studios. Make sure you like and share this episode with all of your closest friends. If you have any questions for Timothy, let us know in the comments. Let us know in the chat. We would love to hear from you. We greatly appreciate it. With that being said – The Marvel thing, do you re? I mean, some people have said now that they own the rights to 20th Century Fox and all their respective properties, they have the rights to the X-Men. So a lot of people are saying they're going to reboot again the X-Men franchise and bring that into the fold of the MCU, or they're going to keep X-Men as their own separate universe, which I think they should do aside from the MCU so they can do their own stuff because there are so many characters within the X-Men universe and you can play with it in their own playground. You don't need the MCU to help them. The MCU doesn't need the X-Men, and the X-Men don't necessarily, even though some people would say otherwise, need the MCU. So in my opinion, go ahead and reboot the X-Men. Granted, I've seen enough X-Men to last me a lifetime, so I may not necessarily necessarily go out and see it opening weekend. But then again, I take the X-Men pretty seriously because of some of my favorite characters of all time. So I may go out and see it opening weekend, Marvel. It depends on what you do for me. But then again, it really depends on what's the story. How are you going to reboot it? Are you going to, you know, just give us the mutants? Or are you going to explain how mutants got their powers? Are you going to explain some of the origin stories of certain characters that may not have gotten the spotlight back in the day, back in the 2000s and the 2010s, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing you should do, and I don't know if they're going to do this or not, this is just all speculation and hearsay, they talked about doing this. I'm glad they didn't. They never did it. There was talks of a spin-off movie featuring the character known as Gambit, and it was going to be Channing Tatum taking on the role, and I thought to myself, "Gambit movie? Yes. Channing Tatum get the heck out of here. You don't deserve to be in this movie. Nor should you be any anywhere near a movie screen, pal. You're you're a pretty boy, and you got comedic chops in your 21 Jump Street movies, but I could care less about pretty much anything else you've done. So if you're going to do a Gambit movie, you better cast that thing correctly but in reality just reboot the x-men give us a good gambit give us a good jubilee okay because they were two of the og members of the 90s animated series give that to me and i will salute you for the rest of my life so give us good x-men material and i'll run with it otherwise i could care less about what marvel's doing you know what they should do timothy there was this graphic novel that came out twenty, thirty, maybe even longer the x-men house of m
1: i remember house of m
0: That would be a good adaptation. I think that would be fascinating to see because you can bring in Scarlet Witch with that.
1: Well, and you know the X Men material has been consistently good throughout the years. I would say in general, I'm I'm pro on an X Men reboot, and Mm -hmm. I think you're right. the The X Men don't necessarily have to be connected to a larger universe plenty of villains mutants it all works you know
0: we never we were teased in one of the x-men movies back i think it was at the end of x-men apocalypse which was the rebooted trilogy they teased mr sinister was going to come in at the very end nathan essex anyone ring a bell with that one that's mr sinister we never got him give me mr sinister give us a proper juggernaut i would love to see those villains come in yeah yeah Mm-hmm. for me personally sorry that's just my x-men uh tangent going off there carissa grant says gambit is my favorite character and i agree with you thank you carissa thank you finally somebody speaks english is that what just happened sorry that was a line from the original avengers movie but anyway i digress with that being said here timothy B. Fling, my question to you is when did you specifically decide to become a comic book creator yourself
1: i remember mine i was a uh it, 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 like all uh fun stories it has a beginning that's a little bit tragic right i used to be a retail comic book store owner it had been my wow. dream to have a comic book store my whole life right finally got the funds together to open one goes three years we're making money hand over fist i end up in this terrible and tumultuous divorce i lose the comic book store in the settlement of the divorce devastated, broken, super depressed. I wanted to do something that couldn't be taken from me. And psychologically, I was drifting toward writing. And I wrote the first script, I guess, in 2015 or 2016. Um, This was for the comic book Socket was my first one. There's three issues of Socket. It is a, a robot comedy super team. And it wasn't particularly well received. This is in the days before Kickstarter. But right about that time, I was like, oh, this is something I can do. I'm going to be able to make comics. And then we had the second one was the first issue of Water Wars, which you see behind me there. It's that one, right? And almost right away, that one was well-received, and we started selling quite a few of them. And then that, that led into two and three and four, and that's still going. And, of course, in the meanwhile, we've had some new titles and stuff come out. So as a publisher, you know, we've left the gate. We have something like – Well, including variants, now there's 20 some books that I publish and sell.
0: That is true. That is truly amazing. What would you say are some of the rewards about being an indie comic book creator?
1: Well, I you know I really like it uh, for two reasons. Number one, I have what I call sort of a creative compulsion. You know, uh, you know, we we certain types of people they make things, right? Ryan, you make podcasts. You get this. This is a, you know we're all in sort of a thing where we're exercising some creative function, and obviously it suits some need within us, some deeper you know, I'm going to say it, it's kind of a spiritual need almost that we need, like we feel like we've got to be making something. And every person's different. You know, hey, that's why I say I'm always interested to talk to anybody. Sculptor, poet, interpretive dancer, you know, I'd love to talk to them. But in my case, uh, there's something about writing that I'm consistently drawn to it. And I'm a musician too, I think I might have mentioned. We write the music that goes with these campaigns. So I guess I would say that you know, in my case, it's, it always comes back to the writing. Something drives me to the writing and there's like that feeling you get the first time when you open the box and it's one of your books that you made and you hold something in print that you, you know, originally saw as a piece of white paper, a script, you know, there's something about that journey that's very intriguing for me and very rewarding. And um, for me, this is something I discovered later in life. I haven't been doing it since I was young. I, Geez, I I published my first book when I was fifty five. That's the way it happened. Like I like I say, life's full of surprises, man. I I never had any idea that's what would happen. And you know, now if you would have said to me that even five years ago it would be this, I wouldn't have believed you. And Ryan, like you and I were saying off the air, so you know, of course, the other part of you know writing is you got to do your marketing, right? So then we start doing that, and well, man, now there's. I do two live shows a week and a recorded show every week to 10 days. And those all have varying degrees of success, you know, and it's all about trying to build your readership. And then the other thing is when I'm not doing that, I work on these Kickstarters and I I try to do three a year. That's about my, you know, I wanted it to go to four, but it's, you know, I'm kind of a one man show. I, it's hard for me to, now I use professional fulfillment now. Like I don't, I don't do any of the postage. I don't do any of the shipping. A lot of the guys will tell you it's the way to make more money. You go to pirate ship and you print your own labels and you, you know, you go back and forth to the post office and all this kind of stuff. But I I just can't do that, Ryan. It's not for me. It's too much time and it's not, you know, like I say, uh, every person's different. Of course, I'm not disparaging anybody for their way that they do it. And I realize there's all different methods, but I didn't get into writing because I wanted to be post office guy. You know what I mean? And what happens is you start getting upwards of a couple of hundred customers. You got a couple of weeks worth of going to the post office every day and it's, it's labor. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, it can definitely be labor-intensive. And once again, we are talking with Timothy B. Fling of Earth Dog Studios on this episode of And I Quote. Don't forget to like and share this episode with all of your closest friends. If you have any questions for Timothy, whether you're watching this live or on the replay, let us know in the comments, let us know in the chat. And if this is your first time with us, thank you for being with us. We hope you enjoy your time uh, witnessing the greatness that is this episode. <laughs> and I quote with the man himself, uh, Timothy B. Fling, because, boy, does he got stories for days. Now, on the flip side of the coin, though, here, Timothy, what would you say are some of the – other biggest challenges about being an indie comic book creator
1: well that one's pretty easy right we would all say that it's money because in uh just about every case compared to other fields you know there's uh it's, it's a team that really should be paid up front and here's what i mean by that like in all our projects that we do over here at earth dog studios all the artists and letterers and designers they get paid first before the kickstarter And then I reimburse myself out of the Kickstarter. I and again, I understand there's different ways, but I don't do the thing where, hey, we gotta make X amount of dollars so that we can pay for the X, you know, because the first thing, it's not really fair to the to the artist, you know, to have them working for nothing. They they should be getting paid right away by the page. Yeah, Carissa does that too. I, I agree. And it makes for a better relationship with your artist, that's for sure.
0: Oh, yes. Carissa Grant says, I do the same when it comes to pain. So, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's also, I was going to say, not quite fair to the customer, because if you're raising the money, it should be more of a pre-order. Again, one man's opinion. Mine is not, my funds are not to make the book. Book's already made. This is the distribution of how it's going to get out there into the world. And, you know, various things happen. We, we all understand that. But it's not, uh, hey, you know, we've got three pages made. Help me finance the other you know 30 pages i i couldn't do that i would have too much anxiety yeah
0: yeah i could see so, that so the
1: challenge you said what's the challenge the challenge would be the money because i would say you really got to have the money for everybody up front mm-hmm. or at nah, least pretty, pretty close to as they're going so they don't feel like it got behind because one thing uh, and uh, viewers if it's one you you get a bad name on pretty quick is if <laughs> you took advantage of an artist and didn't pay for this or that. And that kind of stuff totally happens.
0: Hmm. That is a a fair point. So fair warning. Be careful about what you do and be smart about it. That's another another (laughs) way of putting it. Now, for those of you who are watching or listening, I'm going to bring up some images here, and we're going to go through them uh, one at a time. So, Timothy B. Fling, I have a set of comic book covers here. This is kind of an array of different things. Can you describe to us what exactly are we looking at here with these comic book covers?
1: Sure. On on the top row there, you're seeing some of the releases of our – this is sort of uh, Earth Dog Studios' greatest hits you got there. On the upper left, that is the Lost at Sea with erwin arosa that's our underwater cataclysm story it's very popular um the center one there with the orange cover that's the water wars chronicles which is uh that's the 106 page graphic novel it's the collection of all the short stories that i did with Irwin up till now and that also comes with a chrome enhanced cover which is kind of cool on the right hand side that's water wars volume three with cover art by renan shoddy That's uh, been a uh, nice book for us. It's sold out uh, twice of its run. So we'll be able we'll be printing some additional copies to take to Baltimore. And -hmm. that one features my pal Justin Birch on the letters too, who I got to work with, which is nice. Mm -hmm. On the bottom left-hand corner, you'll see Planet Comics number eight. What you're seeing there is our short stories are sometimes reprinted uh, by Antarctic Press. After we make the books through Kickstarter, during which I release them myself, I send them out into the world to different places to try and get published. And we've had some success with that over at Planet Comics with Antarctic Press. Thanks to Ben Dunn for setting us up. We've been published over there probably four or five times now. Wow. Yeah, great outfit to be with. And, of course, that's a paying gig for us, too, so that's always good. The middle one, you see, I had a uh, short story in the Cthulhu book. It's called Cthulhu is Hard to Spell, Battle Royale. That's by a creator named Russell Nolte. And we did a uh, short story. What they are, they're Lovecraftian short stories by different creators in the marketplace and ours was sort of the sci-fi story it's a a post-apocalyptic robot sci-fi lovecraft story which is uh takes place during a polar apocalypse it's pretty cool all the art has snowstorms in it and this kind of thing and on the very bottom uh right hand corner Mm -hmm. this is our most recent book it's the one right before uh this one that's water wars 2288 volume 4 and that's cover art by Renan Shodi and colors by Martina Rossi. That was a very uh, popular book. That's a good seller for us too.
0: My goodness gracious. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. Another uh, cover yeah. I want to share with you. And this is also for the people who may be listening. This one fascinates me because when I see this cover, I'm thinking to myself, is this Terminator meets Come quietly or there will be trouble. Robocop. What exactly is Robot City Blues? How did that come about?
1: Well, you got here. And this is actually the second story in the book. So it never really had its own cover. So what we're saying here is, man, we should make a cover for this short story. So that as you read through the Chronicles, each short story has like a cool cover that goes with it. Because the Irwin Arosa art, man, they always just look like these amazing uh, movie posters. And, uh, the premise of it is, well, it has the quote there, right? Not even a lawless world can shake the heart of a righteous man. And the premise of it is, uh, Seamus Murphy is veteran, returns from the water wars. He's augmented, uh, infantry by having a certain percentage of his body being mechanical. He's sort of banished to this robot ghetto, robot city, which is where the robots run the place. It's sort of beyond the walls of where the humans live. And what happens, there's a young girl that's in this car crash and she's thrown into the craft lands in the robot city and Seamus rescues her. And during the rescue, it's, it says about how he discovers what it means to be human is the tagline. But the, the gist of it is, you know, he goes to return her and they, they go through the danger and stuff. It's a little adventure. And when he returns her, he gets her right to the gate and they say, halt! And they of course, they don't let him in because he's too much robotic. So they take the girl. Your work here is done. And they send them back that's Robot City Blues.
0: Hmm, Intriguing. So what do you think the reader would hear when they're reading this particular story? Would it be the Brad Fidel Terminator theme or the RoboCop theme? Uh, Or maybe maybe even Blade Runner. Maybe it's Blade Runner.
1: I'm going to jump in and say uh, RoboCop because we did put his last name as Murphy, which is a little nod to that's the guy in RoboCop.
0: Alex Murphy from the original film. That's right.
1: And it's the, the twist of this one is it's a little bit more sad than you might
0: think and
1: uh, w- what i mean by that when we make the stories this is on the chronicle side that's called the water wars chronicles it's all this hand-painted art that you see and it's all stuff like leaves blowing through the scene and it's very evocative art and what we do is we start with sort of an emotional last panel and then we write the story backwards okay round two name something that's not boring
0: a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire
1: huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over a 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no restrictions over conditions website for details with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere
0: That is some incredible stuff because I actually just rewatched the original RoboCop movie a couple, well, I think it was like a week or week or so ago.
1: It's a good film. Yeah. If you like like stories where, uh, especially if it's a thing where it's a human brain and he's like trapped in a robot body, if you love that type of stuff, you will love water Wars Chronicles because there's a couple stories about that. And it's definitely, well, as a matter of fact, the robot that you see in robot city blues, he turns up several times in the stories. And he's also the robot from the book socket. So he crosses over and this is kind of like, it's funny. He has this sort of funny, goofy persona in the socket book. But the idea is that he's this trapped human veteran in there that couldn't get back to his human roots. He got blocked right at the gate.
0: Wow. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Now to fast forward a little bit here towards the, what is known as the present, Call of the go. Cryptid. Goodness gracious. What exactly is Call of the Cryptid and how did this all come about? Describe what we're looking at here.
1: Sure. Well, what we got here, you know, we've been saying for a, a while that, you know, when you start getting into publishing books, people start to say things like, hey, you should branch out and try a new title. Right. Which I was real nervous about it, but we did it. And here is essentially what you're looking at. This is a visual cryptid based sci-fi adventure featuring the artwork of Erwin Arosa. It has sort of a surreal and dreamlike quality and sort of like a hand-painted sort of look. The first uh, cover you see on the left there, that's cover A. That's your main cover, and that is going to be a 32-page book. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Right around there. Nice. And you know, it's gonna have some bonus content. It's it's oversized, is what I'm getting at. It'd be a little bit of bonus content. The second one over there, uh, second from left, that's the encounter. It has a little bit of sort of like a close encounter sort of vibe. And that's gonna have some chrome on the cover. The middle one is the uh homage variant. It is an homage cover to Fantastic Four, number fifty-one. Really? Yeah, yeah. When when I take when you look it up now, you're gonna go, oh my gosh, that is it. Hmm.
0: It's, it's this look.
1: man, this monster.
0: I'll have to look this up in the backstage area at the conclusion yeah, yeah. of the show.
1: Yeah, you'll be surprised. You're like, oh my gosh, it looks just like it. um Then you see you have kind of a black and white one there, right? Yeah, the black and white one that is a full black and white issue. Wow. Yeah, and that's sort of a tribute to the classic 70s Marvel and Curtis mags. That'd be a fun one for a collector. And the only color in it is that chrome green that you're seeing on the cover. Oh yes. Mm. So that'll be the only dash of color. And then the last one on the right there, that is our, uh, we call it the declassified document. That is our upgraded variant. That's on the printable hollow foil. That'll be a wild looking book. You know, it sort of has that X Files sort of look, right? Mm-hmm. And in this case, we will be, uh, I think that's limited to 50 copies, that one on the right. And I'll give him a shout out here because that's somebody different than Irwin. He's Italian, so help me that I don't butcher his name. He's Massimiliano Veltri. Massimiliano Veltri. And just a terrific job by him. And this came about as we are developing our second title. And the premise of it is, after an alien encounter, a, a troubled teenager gains the ability to communicate with a race of legendary monsters.
0: Ooh. Okay, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. I mean, I'm not real real sci fi
1: kind of feel. And it's very kind of, like I say, it's a little bit dreamlike. And there's some weird sequences and stuff. And basically, in the first issue, it is like, I don't want to give away too much spoilers. It's an arc. But the first one is, you'll see the alien gray, the alien blue, the men in black and Bigfoot in the first issue. And the idea is, it's good to go over the construction of the book. It's a four-issue series, and each one a new cryptid gets revealed, and then finally in the last book, it's a big battle with all the cryptids.
0: Oh my goodness, mm, man! I, it's true. I think I speak yeah, for myself. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the person who's watching or listening to this episode of Antiquo would have the same reaction as this one does. Oh.
1: Yes, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> you know for someone and this is just my i can't speak for everybody this is just my personal taste i've never really been into the whole mythology of cryptids and things like that but looking at these crazy good-looking covers that are so money they just don't even know it You're like a big bear man hmm. i'm gonna have to read this yeah, thanks, Those man. covers it, are intriguing, really brother, especially the cover A with the girl, you know, going like this. Yeah. And she's got the creature behind her. And I'm like, mm, you know, you're in a fight for your life there, girl. You better be ready because these things are coming.
1: Yeah, and there's lots of uh, twists and stuff too. Like what we've done is – and kind of like in the Water War series, I think the stories are better if they end on a little twist or it's not quite what you thought. Like, for example, in this case – and I already gave up the reveal on this one is Bigfoot. But again, when he shows up, it's not – he's uh cognitant simiae, the thinking ape. Like when he shows up, he's, first off, he's got, he's like a sci-fi Bigfoot. He's got these yellow goggles for when he tra- travels between the dimensions. And he's got, oh. he's sort of erudite and he's got this really c- clever vocabulary. And, and it's like, wait, what? That's the Bigfoot? Yeah. And then well, like when the other ones come, it's the same thing. Like one turns out to be a hoax. Like right about when you think you know what it is, it's just like a little twist. Or I guess you'd say like a, at least a, a modern reimagining.
0: Right, right. Just when you think you have it all figured out, someone pulls the rug right underneath you. you
1: yeah, know. keep them guessing. And what, what we did, and I hope that this works because this is new for us too, but mm-hmm. each issue ends on a cliffhanger.
0: Oh, ah, well, that's what you want to do, right? Keep the audience yeah, wanting yeah, right, more, right. bring them back?
1: Well, correct. Now, between you and me, though, I've never done that. He, the uh, Water Wars series, each issue is a story. Like you ah. don't have to read the other ones to okay. – they, gotcha. they connect, they connect, but not in the way, or yeah, like nothing's between the issues. So, yeah, and some yeah. of them even have two two stories in each issue. Hmm. So this was the first time I didn't know, hey, if people buy this first issue, like the hope is you will be like, what? Like, you know, Bigfoot appears right on the last page and he's talking and he's like, wait a second. what? It's like not what was supposed to happen. And just, the hope is that people go, oh, my God, well, now I got to figure out what happened, right?
0: Exactly. How does this all uh, connect and come about? Once again, we are talking with Timothy B. Fling on this episode of And I Quote, Indie Comic Book Creator from Earthdog Studios. Make sure you like and share this episode with all of your closest friends. If you have any questions for Timothy, whether you're watching this live on the replay, let us know in the chat. Let us know in the comments. be more than happy to hear from you. And for those of you who have tuned in and for those of you who have commented thus far, we appreciate each and every single one of you. Now, Timothy B. Flink, for you, have there been any special memories for you from being at conventions or other events, whether you were there as a vendor or there as an attendee? Uh,
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, man, I had my best one the other day, which was, uh, you know, I travel a little bit for an auction house that I worked for here in uh, Pennsylvania. And I was at a comic convention, which, you know, I don't usually travel to this part of the country, but I was in New Hampshire. And I was at a comic convention there repping this auction house. It's one of the services that they provide is they sell high-end comics and uh, Star Wars figures. And I'm involved in the collectible market pretty close. So I'm sometimes rep their table. So I wasn't really there doing my stuff. There was none of my banners or anything like that. I was an employee, you know, and of course I got a badge and everything with my name on it, but I'm there and I won't mention her name because I don't know if she would want me to, but, um, I'm helping a customer, you know, he's turning in some Captain America comments. And the voice says, are you Timothy Fling? And I said, sure, I am. She goes, hey, aren't you the author? And I said, I am. And she said, would you sign my books for me? And I said, I would love to. And she opened up this box and she had every book in there that I ever wrote. And I'm in New Hampshire, right? I'm not even in my own state. And I was like, whoa, that was the first time it dawned on me. Because of course, five Kickstarters in, this had been one of my customers, and had enough to recognize me and know where I might be—that kind of thing. And I was really—I was blown away by it, Ryan. That was the first time that I ever—if I'd have been in Pennsylvania or even Baltimore, it's different, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, at least I'm from there, and maybe got a little bit of—you know—some people know me. But I guess it was because I was in a different area, and it—it just, it just caught me off guard. And I was like, "Wow, this is really that moment. I'm a writer."
0: Congratulations! That's amazing. That's
1: yeah, great. Cool story, and it, right? Yeah, and, it, and it's
0: funny you bring up Maryland because Maryland's my stopping grounds. That's where I'm originally from. I now where, I'm here. Where, in,
1: where are you from, Ryan?
0: Well, I'm originally from Towson, Maryland, but now nice. I'm here in the state of North Carolina. Hey,
1: yeah, so. right down the road from me, brother.
0: I, I see, it, it's a small world. It really is. Because well, I'll tell you what. If I come back, because I do have plans to eventually come back and visit my family. Because granted, I only just moved here to North Carolina here in my new place, in my new studio, which you can see the tapestry camera and everything nice. else and i'm behind me but or in front of me however you're <laughs> looking at it but i do plan to come back up and visit to see my family my family misses me very much and as any family would like when someone moves away and moves to a new place yes they're gonna miss them but when i come back up there i, I would like to see you man that, that'd be yeah, cool We we'll have to. You uh, the books.
1: did you ever go to baltimore comic-con
0: i see it's the craziest thing i lived in baltimore i lived in towson even though that's like a little bit north of Baltimore, but it's still close. Like it's still in this you know, general vicinity, but somewhat. And I've never been to BCC all this time. But now, granted, I didn't get into conventions until over a decade and change ago. And then I didn't get into comics specifically until six years ago. Gotcha. So I'm still kind of rel- somewhat relatively new to the whole comic book thing. But at the same time, Baltimore Comic Con has some of the biggest names in the world right, at right. that event each and every single year, including the one that I want to meet more than anything else, which is Mark Wade. So. Yeah, you know, but the it, but the good news really is the good news is Mark Wade is going to be at a convention here where I am in the state of North Carolina later this summer. So excellent! Yeah, and have heaven yeah. sign my Kingdom Come graphic novel because Kingdom Come is what got me into comics.
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah. So. Hey, uh, I'm a huge fan of that.
0: I'm a huge fan of that. Love that book. I I've, The first time I read it, my mind was just completely blown slash melted. My jaw was on the floor, and I thought hey, to myself hey, – would you
1: like to uh, – this might be a good opportunity for us to get together. I am trying to put together a part two of the uh, top list of graphic novels, modern graphic novels. You want to maybe
0: contribute to that? I would love to, yes. Because I, if I you print... love
1: Kingdom Come, that's on the list. Uh, well
0: – Kingdom comes on my list, uh, Flashpoint is another one that I really enjoyed oh, from okay, Jeff, yeah, I believe yeah. it was Jeff Johns, right? Wasn't that yep, Jeff yep, Johns?
1: Yeah, love it, love it. That's Flashpoint
0: great. is Jeff Johns. Yeah. X-Men, I mean this is old school, but X-Men God Loves Man Kills by Chris Claremont is one of the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Correct. I just read that not too long ago, by the way. Like I said, I'm still somewhat new to reading comics, but I'm learning as I go. Yeah,
1: yeah. These are great and picks. These are great picks. Another and-
0: one. And it's funny because there was a question that was uh, – and by the way, I want to give a shout-out to a friend of ours here. George Bueller runs a show called The Fanatic Forum on Friday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time as part of the Back of the Cereal Box Network. Feel free to check him out. He's a great guy. He runs a comic store in the wonderful state of Kentucky, home of those wild cats. And – George was going over, what is some of your favorite underappreciated graphic novels? And I chimed in in the comment section below of that show and I said to him, I think the daring new adventures of Supergirl by Paul Kupperberg are fantastic. Those, that 24 issue run that Paul Kupperberg, Carmine Infantino did is fantastic. I think the shadow, the death of Margot Lane is fantastic. By the way, that's more modern day. The shadow doesn't go back to the silver or the bronze age. That's more modern day. I believe it was Matt Wagner.
1: Oh, it's I cool. love Matt Wagner. I was going to say I'm not familiar with that one, but Matt I, love Wag- Matt I believe
0: it was Matt Wagner. Yeah. So The Shadow of the Death of Margot Lane is one of my all time favorites because I love the shadow. It, I think well, the shadow...
1: Your Listen... We, I'll got, write it down. It's, I'll it's write it similar, down. Yeah, I'm, because um,
0: I'm not going to go on a tangent here, but I'll put this down on a sheet of paper and I'll send it to you.
1: Well, these are great. And I love the idea of underappreciated. that could be modern. It's good to pigeonhole them because you know the lists tend to get pretty big. They Yeah, that's, what
0: jo- that's, that's the question that George proposed as the main topic for his most recent episode. Well, I'll, of I'll the tell you, sometimes <laughs> viewers say
1: things like, I'll give you a quick, for instance, like we did uh, modern graphic novels on the last one, but oh. we sort of violated our our own rules and here's why because we had things that were to be a true graphic novel you should differentiate between and this is how nerdy we sometimes get if it was ever released in episodic format like an issue or if it was strictly graphic novel because those are two different things right Technically technically they are so you know that's something you and i can discuss
0: yeah, we'll have to talk more about that. But yeah, those are some of the names that stood out to me as as certain uh, graphic novels go in regards to yeah. your question or the topic that you want to present. But thank you for sharing as far as the special memories for you uh, from conventions or other events. That is fantastic that someone would bring a box full of your work, yeah, yeah. bring it up to you and say, hey, can you sign each and every single one of them?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I was amazed. And, uh, you know, it was one of my backers and we're friends now. And, uh, oh, cool really? Person.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's cool. even... That's even better.
1: You know, it's a little bit of, uh, and and I don't know the correct amount, right? But what I've noticed, and I'll mention to any new creators, yes, that when you have somebody that's genuinely your fan, you should try to really hook them up with whatever project you're doing. Like, give a little bit of extra, maybe give an extra book, an extra sticker, whatever it is, because that's your person, that's your customer. Like the other people you know, you're going to have some that are like half fans, but if you get a diehard fan, that's your following. That's the one you're trying to build, right? And then you just, one at a time, you just build them and you try and make cool stuff that they, that that person would like. And in my case, and I I, I see if Carissa's still here because she does the same thing. We make things that we think are awesome and we hope that the audience will discover it, which is that, that's really what it comes down to.
0: On. Rock on, rock on. And it's funny, it's funny, uh, real quick, before I transition over to the next question, it's funny you bring up, you went to an event where there are comic books there, and you also mentioned Star Wars collectors, because after your most recent episode of one of your shows, Carissa and I connected through the DMs, and we said, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. What do you do? And after we got to know each other a little bit, I started sending, just at a, Sorry, I'm giving you a little behind the scenes, but hey, okay. it's funny. It's positive, it's not negative. Yeah, yeah, sure. I started saying, "Hey, I like this, this, that and the other." And I I said, "Hey, uh thanks for uh tuning into the show." And I said, "Carissa, you're welcome. I wish you the best. And if you want to talk about this more or you want to be on my show, which once again it's anti I quote, which is what you're watching or listening to right now." She said, "Yeah, sure. Do you do you take any more interviews?" I'm like, "Yes!" Absolutely, I would love to talk to more people. Are you kidding me? It's the reason I do this. And then we started sending each, I started sending her Star Wars GIFs and she just started laughing. And I'm like, okay, she's getting it. She's, and then I told her earlier, I said, hey, uh, I'm a Star Wars fan. I can't help it. She says, no, by all means, keep sending the, the, you know, the GIFs. It doesn't matter to me because it's all fun and games. I'm like, yeah, it is because Star Wars is awesome. Yeah. So. <laughs> more commonalities, more common threads that are being thrown into the mix here for good measure. But with that being said, what are three pieces of advice you would give to aspiring indie comic book creators?
1: Okay, three. Okay, I got a couple of good ones. I always start with this as my first one. Mm -hmm. Start small. Ready? Here's what I mean by that. I talk to a lot of creators now, and they tend to say things like, and by the way, I was like this too. They tend to say things like, hey, I'm working on my new project. It's going to be a 12-volume epic space saga. Each volume is 108 pages, and it's full color. It's 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 beyond the scope of what almost what a human can do, right? I always say something like this. Here's what you want to do. Write an eight-page short story. Maybe that's even a lot. Start with six. Whatever it takes to tell your story and make it. You know what? The first one's probably going to suck, but make it. Then you got it under your belt, and you learn something, Right? Then the next one, you go to 24 pages and that's your issue. That's usually what I recommend. Start small. That's my tip number one. Ready? Tip number two, and I'm just learning about this one now. Somehow the market seems to be tied to video content, something Ryan and I discussed. It's extremely helpful to uh, engage with podcasters reviewers you know almost anything that is connected to a video in some way only because it is the way that people absorb media right it you know it's the video right now is overtaking all the other things that's one man's opinion so you know that's what i'm trying to do and you know particularly since we live in an age when um we're lucky enough to have people that will review the books and talk to the creators and meet and support each other in the community. You know, so there's that, which leads me to the step three, which is to leverage the technology that is available to us. You know, it's 2023. There really aren't too many excuses for an aspiring creator as to why they couldn't make their book. And here's what I mean by that. Like you can work with somebody online. You can use Dropbox. You can use email. You can chat through Facebook. Basically start out by making a page. You know what I mean? Then you start out by coloring that page, then go to lettering that page, but just to keep taking a tiny step and use the digital tools and the digital world that is around you. And you know, it gets to kind of a funny level. It's, I sometimes exaggerate it, but out of. Out of 21 people that we work with over here on our teams, it's only me and one other American. The rest are international. Which you know that would have been impossible 20 years ago, you know. So you know that that's those are my tips, and I I think especially number one is the most important, which is start small. Start small. And, you know, finish something. It's, uh, I definitely want to encourage the people because we all get stuck against it like a writer's block. Oh, I can't quite finish this, you know? But man, just stories are a little bit like kids, you know? You foster them and you help them to grow. But then when they get to a certain level, out the door you go into the market, see if it's any good, you know? And look, I have some, like I, I say this from the point of view, I realize that not all my writing was gold now, looking back on it. Like I look back at the first series, which was Socket. And, you know, I think it's pretty good. It's got a lot of it's got a warm place in my heart and everything, but I can be critical enough to admit, okay, hey, I didn't know as much then. And it's not quite as good and it's not written as well. And I didn't really produce it as well. So, you know, you learn. So, man, that experience is just invaluable. So you learn so much from the experience. Again, man, just just jump in and finish one.
0: Rock on, man. Rock on. And once again, we are talking with Timothy B. Fling of Earth Dog Studios on this episode of And I Quote. Don't forget to like and share this episode with all of your closest friends. If you have any questions for Timothy, let us know in the comments. Let us know in the chat. Be more than happy to hear from you. I also want to let you know that this episode of And I Quote is indeed powered by our good friends over there at Poddex. Now, Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your very own hand. So whether you are a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience or get more engagement, you're going to want to check out our friends over there at poddex.com. Use the code Ryan10, that's ryan one for 10% off your first order. You're not going to want to miss out on that opportunity. So Poddex wants to know, which living person do you most despise? <laughs> I know, we're digging deep here, I know. know,
1: despise is a strong word. Hmm. Let me think here. Boy, that's a hard one for me. I don't really despise
0: anybody, I don't think. It's okay. If you don't have an answer, it's fine. We can always uh, go over to the next one.
1: Let, let, let me think here. There's got to be somebody that I just hate, right? Yeah, yeah. come back to it. I got I got to think on that a little bit.
0: Go ahead. Take your time. But Poddex wants to know, who are your heroes in real life?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll take that one. Hey, man, every day, the heroes around us, I'm impressed lately with these fellows that are working at my son's school. Um, it's One's a teacher and one's an Air Force recruiter guy. Wow. These guys, the way they work with these young men and help them do stuff and they get them prepared for tests and they do the college prep thing. Uh, it's somebody that I've been working with and I mean, I'm really grateful for what these guys are doing. I, I see what they're doing and I think, man, I should be doing something like that. The one guy, he's got a class of 20 couple uh, kids and I, I say young men, but there's women in there, too, because it's Air Force. And um, what they do is they like prep them to get ready for the college testing.
0: It's wow, cool. that is incredible.
1: Yeah, so right. I'll, I'll pick them for my heroes right now.
0: There you go. Rock on. Which living person do you most admire? Wait, is and crazy? you can say Carissa if you want. I know she's your BFF. Yeah. Or Rob Maltieri from LoneWolfComics.com. You know you can always <laughs> say him too. He's a good friend of ours.
1: Living person I most admire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I, I, okay i'll throw this one out to my mom because she's the oldest she's 80 years old she's still going she's driving up tomorrow to check on my brother who got hurt his leg did something to oh. it and i just thought it was so cool so i'm gonna give a shout out maybe she's even watching hi mom there you go, <laughs> there, you go. there
0: you go man we're we're rolling along with these more uh, heroic or positivity questions who is your favorite what? hero of fiction
1: Favorite hero of fiction? That's easy for me. He is Feanor from the Silmarillion. I don't know if there's any Tolkien fans out there, but uh, similar to Lord of the Rings, Feanor was the elf who crafted the three jewels, the Silmarils, and in my opinion, it is the best Tolkien work.
0: Oh, okay. I'm such a fan
1: of his. I am such a fan of Feanor hmm. that whenever I play a video game and you have to put the name in, that's whose name I put in. <laughs> so that also shows you how much of a nerd i am
0: Mm, there you go there you go which talent would you most like to have
1: i wish i could play the piano i almost can i'm I'm semi-musical so but i don't play the piano i play the guitar
0: guitar okay but every time i
1: see somebody play the piano i go man if i would just practice a little i could do that you know
0: yeah, it all this is it's just a box of wood and eighty-eight keys. It's not that right. hard to learn. Right. No, I'm yeah, just kidding. Eighty-eight, 88 it, keys. How hard, is- how
1: hard could it be? I know. I, I love to ask myself that question when they say blah blah blah. How hard could it be? That guy did it. We put a man on the moon. Surely yeah. I can bang some white keys and make a noise with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you know, if someone who is comp- well, going back to his, historical references here, Beethoven couldn't really hear very well, but he was able to just play. He could look at a piano and he could just play.
1: Right. Yeah. Hey, how about, uh, I love telling people this. Do, do you know, this, you know, who Ozzy Osbourne is right. From oh Go yes, Back. of course. Yeah, he's the Oz man, right. Did you know, first of all, he doesn't read music. Oh, and he doesn't have a conventional way of writing music. What I he does, know. he sits down with the guitar player. And by the way, he works with some of the greatest guitar players in history. In wow. But they'll play a little riff and he'll hum along to it. And he hums the basis for the chorus of the song hmm. by humming along without even being able to read music. He became Ozzy Osbourne. Like one of the top acts in history. Like, so it just never underestimate what people can do, right? Like he doesn't play guitar. He doesn't play an instrument he, he hums along and they make a song that way that, that blows my mind. There's another one. I'm a, uh, Rob Zombie, you a fan of White Zombie or Rob
0: Zombie? I I can't say I'm a Rob Zombie fan, but there, there are two songs of his that I do like because one of them was used in the – granted, this is going back to the movie conversation yeah. we were talking about earlier. Are you going to mention – They remake everything, 65? right? Well, no, what I'm saying is they remake a lot of movies, right? Yeah, so yeah. So one right. of the movies that got remade was Rollerball.
1: Right. Oh, and I in Rollerball,
0: the song Never Gonna Stop by Rob Zombie was featured in that soundtrack in the in the movie I think it was featured at the end credits of the movie and then another song of his was it was a part of the same album I can't remember but anyway those are the two songs that I like from Rob Zombie I'm not a big Rob Zombie fan but then when when I was watching pro wrestling WWE superstar Edge walked out to music that was never going to stop by Rob Zombie
1: right right well I I was going to mention he was the same guy ready he is uh his story and again, viewers, if I get this a little wrong, chime in. But he works at a magazine, right? It's a yep. celebrity magazine. And he's like the copy editor or something, posting oh. up you know, logos and this kind of thing. And he looks at the celebrity magazine and he says, I want to be a celebrity. I want to be a rock star. One small problem, you ready? Doesn't play an instrument and he doesn't sing and he doesn't write music. Hmm. So what does he do? Uh, he puts an ad out. They're going to start a band. They form their band, White Zombie. Which is, you know, he kind of growls over it. He's not even necessarily a great singer, uh, but great performer, right? Turns out, turns out White Zombie becomes a big hit. Okay, now I want to be a solo artist. Remember, you're talking about a guy that didn't play an instrument and didn't write music. Okay, now I'm going to be a solo artist. He becomes Rob Zombie, right? Yes. Okay. Well, okay, now what? He becomes a big success. Okay, now what do you want to do? You know what? to make horror movies so again he makes the first something he'd never done something he'd yeah. never done makes goes to the next and now i forget even how many he made but it's almost his own genre of horror movie like a dozen and movies maybe my, my point is if you're a creative person just make your thing shoot your shot
0: that's a fair point. That's a fair point. He made, he ended up, I can't speak for everybody on this, and I haven't seen none of his films because, like I said, I'm not a really big Rob Zombie fan, but he made House of a Thousand Corpses. He did the remakes of Halloween. He did Halloween 2 because he was such a big lover of the original by John Carpenter. Now, granted, his Halloween reboot slash remakes got thrown under the bus. Not a lot of people like those movies. And granted, that's just what I heard. I haven't seen it, so I can't right, comment respectfully. Right, respect right. It. But he did it. And I'm right, thinking to myself. This I'm is the guy. There. This is the guy who made Edge's. Well, they later on used his music. They didn't like you know specifically say, "Hey, I want you to write a piece of music for WWE superstar Edge." Right. He wrote it because he he well not wrote but he performed it because he's a, a music guy. But I'm thinking to myself. This is the guy who did Edge's theme song, and he's making movies now. How is that even possible? Right. right. He, but he did it. I may not agree with it, but he did it. I mean. <laughs> You know, hey, he had creative things coursing through his veins and he thought, well, if I want to make something, I might as well go ahead and make it.
1: Yeah. It, it's a really, it's a cool and he, story. And, I,
0: and, and he has a fan base. For sure. Which is true, right? I'm not wrong. Yeah. Am I? I mean, Rob no. Zombie has his fair share of fans. I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Somewhere around here. I can't, I don't know where they are. Maybe they're on tattooing in the middle of the desert. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're hiding out in most icy.
1: I was a fan of the first uh, couple of white zombie albums. I mean, it's not – look, I, I get it, it's not the best album in the world, but I, I was a fan.
0: Okay. I was just wondering. But, hey, if you have them, if you like them, if you enjoy them, hey, to each their own. We can put it to you that way. But I do want to take this opportunity to say that we want to thank Timothy B. Fling of Earth Dog Studios for being our guest on this episode of – and I quote, Timothy, thank you for being here, my good man. Where can hey, the person – It's Yeah. Where can the person watching or listening to this follow you on social media and everything that you have coming up? What do you got? I got the
1: top three easiest ways to find me. The first thing is, if you'd like to follow me on YouTube, uh, they have what they call a handle now over on Mm -hmm. YouTube. I'm at Timothy Fling. Pretty easy to find. Or the second thing is on Facebook, I'm Timothy B. Fling. Easy fellow to find. The thing I'm probably most known for right now, I'm turning up on Kickstarter fairly often, so if you uh, search my name or you can find my new title, which is over there right now, that's The Call of the Cryptid. It is a cryptid-based visual sci-fi adventure, 32 pages of thrilling artwork. Don't miss it. That's with my partner, Erwin Arosa.
0: There you go. Fantastic stuff. Timothy, thank you so much for being with us. We do greatly appreciate it. We're glad we were finally able to.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been a pleasure, man. And you know, one thing I want to give a quick shout out to Ryan, you know, thanks for what you do. I appreciate, you know, the people that promote and their tireless efforts to support the indie community. It's not lost on me. I appreciate what you do, brother.
0: Well, thank you very much for being with us here, Timothy. I'm going to speak to you in just another moment, but my name is Ryan of Neuroculture. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at RyanRPM5. I also make sure you're following us on YouTube at Neuroculture channel. All the other social media links are located within the description of this video, as well as the links to where you can follow Timothy B. Fling and everything that he has coming up are located within the description of this video. Also, I want to let you guys know that we've got some uh, great things coming your way. Once we hit 1000 subscribers, we're going to throw the biggest celebration that Dwayne the Rock Johnson and YouTube.com has ever seen in their life. Once we hit a thousand subscribers, we're going to do a live stream. We're going to have returning guests. We're going to have surprise guests. We're also going to have special giveaways for you, our lovely audience, our lovely viewers and supporters. So make sure you tell two friends, and then they tell their friends, and they tell their friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. You know how these things go. And with with that being said, also, I want to let you know some upcoming shows coming your way very soon. On Sunday, April the 23rd, we're going to talk about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, once and always the 30th anniversary movie that dropped like it's hot. On Netflix. We're going to go back into the Morphing Grid. We're going to talk all about it. And we're going to have very special, special guests that are going to be with us for that live stream. So join us on Sunday night, April the 23rd, 8 p.m. EST. Also, Speaking of Rob Maltieri, he's going to be with us. We're going to be reviewing issues number five and six of Nightwolf with writer Rob Maltieri as our guest. because He's the writer. He's the creator. We want to hear all about it, my friend, and some of the stuff he has coming up. That's going to be on Thursday night, April the 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Right here on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook page, on our Twitch channel, on the Twitter feed. It's all going to be there, so do not miss out on all these upcoming shows. And once again, thank you all for being here. Don't forget to like, comment, share, subscribe, smash that notification bell so you get notified of our new videos go up. In the meantime, stay healthy, stay strong, stay safe. And remember, life is better when reading. Oh, and by the way, it's funny that Timothy B. Fling was here for this episode because it's Earth Day. So happy Earth yeah. Day, everyone, and happy Earth Day to Timothy B. Fling at the people over there at Earth Dog Studios. Kind of goes you. all together in one giant sentence. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Yeah, it really is some good stuff. But, yeah, once again, uh, life is better when you're reading. So take a look at this. Famous Faces and Funnies in Melbourne, Florida, is leading the way in pop culture fun. From comic books and graphic novels to Funko Pops and collector's items, Famous Faces and Funnies has it all. Rick Shea and the professional team at Famous Faces and Funnies are friendly and knowledgeable. Whether you're looking for toys, props, collector treasures, or a new comic book, Famous Faces and Funnies is your one-stop shop. To find Famous Faces and Funnies on Facebook and Twitter, just type at comics. original intention of the film was just for my personal use, but I thought would it'd been such a unique thing that I'd like to offer it to anybody who wants to see it. Um,
1: on the first visit, Jack took us into his uh, another room, a separate room, and there were these brown parcels full of artwork, piled up, and he said to me, you draw like I do. We were in the studio for Five hours, you know, it it was fantastic and there's this, he's got this desk and everything he's ever drawn has come from this desk. And then, and then I would just let, just go with the flow and that's, that's what this film is about. And it's just a unique film of him. He says, I beat you. He says, they say we came in under the dead heat. He says, that's not true because I beat you. And the American said, well, he says, if you like to think so, he says, but I know a real story. He says, I he says, I, I know I clearly won that one. See.
0: See. Well,
1: Joe is six foot three. And I was a run, he said, for me, Lower East Side. And uh, being Joe's partner was an advantage to me because uh, Joe was believable, you know, they they would talk to Joe, and uh, the Goodman brothers would get to know him. Martin Goodman over the Marvel at that time went to his mother and he says, look, Jackie's got a job drawing. He says, they're paying him part. They're paying him money for drawing. He says, suppose I go with Jackie. He says, and um, he says, they'll pay me money. He says, I'll draw and they'll pay me money. He said, I'll give the money to you, which we did. He gave it all to our mothers. They called me from NASA. You know, I lived in Long Island. And they say, would you like to come down and draw these guys in training? I swear, this is not a story. And I, and I said, yes, of course, I'd, I'd love to come down. worked hard and written a great book now it's time to give it a great cover if you're an indie author or small press publisher plasma fire graphics is your source for affordable cover illustration and graphic design Plasma Graphics, when the look of your book matters to you.
0: Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.